Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by our colleague Amanda Carpenter on a okay. I lost track of days. It's been it's been like 150 days since the election. So is it like Thursday? Is that Blur's right? Thursday. Thursday. It is something. You know what? I woke up this morning thinking, you know, when when are we going to get normal life back? You know, when 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 is it going to get? When is it? We are we going to be able to? sort of take a deep breath and like, hey, this is what America used to be like. That's never going to happen, is it? When coronavirus is over. Well, see, that's I really the other need to say that. No, I don't even know if that's if that's the case, whether it's the coronavirus or whether or not somebody <laughs> you 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 uh, uh, just for listeners, Amanda does something interesting. She puts out a, a tweet saying, hey, she's going on the podcast. And what do people want to talk about? I don't know if you saw one of the uh, emails we got from somebody who said, uh, hey, uh, can't wait to hear Amanda on the podcast today. Questions I had. I know it's crazy, but long-term, are the culture wars over now? Are Trump and the QAnoners the last embers of that era? I don't know. You yeah, want, you, I have you, bad you, news for you, our reader. You, you no, the culture me? wars aren't over. The culture wars are I fundamental to votes. politics. This isn't, this isn't a Trump thing, right? No. People want to think politics is only about policy and the legislation that we pass. But the big part of politics, our elections, are about who we pick to represent us, okay? There are people in Georgia that picked Marjorie Taylor Greene to represent them. There are Republicans in South Florida that picked Laura Loomer to represent them, although she didn't win her general election. That's what a major part of politics is about. Only when you get past that. Do you get to talk about the policy and the legislation? And so, no, the culture wars are not over. They will never be over. Pick the culture issue you care about and want to engage in and do that passionately so that this vacuum isn't filled with conspiracy theory nonsense. That would be my advice. So I want to connect the dots between that and and the coronavirus because I, you're absolutely right you know I, and i and i've said this over and over again you know i look at donald trump and i think oh you know donald trump is is being donald trump uh he's living his life he's he's a you know pretend billionaire who gets to you know fly around on air force 1 and do 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 stuff what has been more shocking has been watching the spread of the contagion among the people that put him in office and and it really the last 4 years has been like watching this this spreading disease throughout the the electorate throughout the culture and that doesn't change when you change the people that they elect uh there's a reason why you have these QAnon representatives who are now going to congress um they didn't will that themselves it, it, it's something that's out there um it's it's getting worse okay so we have a lot of fun things to talk about today including D- donald trump apparently Talking about running in 2024, what that means. Uh, we're also getting an indication of his next media grift, which is amazing. Uh, I want to talk about the Georgia special election. But uh, there's something that I haven't really done much on the podcast. Um, and I, 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 I just want to remind people that uh, you can sign up for Bulwark Plus. Th- this podcast remains free. Our main site remains free. But we have been expanding. We've been growing. Yes, the election's over. Obviously, the fight goes on. Obviously, there's no finish line in life. We're, we're in politics here. Well, there's a finish line in life, but we're not. We're not going to go right there. Um, and and Bulwark Plus is just is is a is a chance to be part of this community to join with us. We have had a number of live streams on election night and uh, after the debate, which uh, I would strongly recommend. They were they were not only fun, they were informative, and they were cathartic for those that were part of them and for our listeners. So for um, the very very low 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 price of ten dollars a month, you can have access to that. You can have access to my morning newsletter, morning shots. Uh, JVL has a newsletter, the triad. There are a number of new podcasts, including the next level and the secret podcast. So, uh, if, if you have not yet signed up for Bulwark plus, uh, please consider doing that. We don't have ads. We don't have a billionaire philanthropist who is funding us. We don't want to uh, funding us. We, we don't want to have pop-ups, but we want to continue this. And we have been, uh, I have to tell you, I think we've been punching way above our weight for the last uh, couple of years. We've done it with a very, very small staff, very, very committed group of people. We're incredibly proud of the people that have followed us, that listen to us, that read us. And we want to be able to continue to do that going forward. So if you have not yet signed up for Bulwark Plus, I would strongly consider it. And now here's Amanda Carpenter with, with her pitch. 
Um, was that a flow rider shout out and the low, 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 low price? I it heard that in my mind of, when you said it like that. I actually Probably. know that song, believe it or not. Hmm. But it's been a long time. What's your favorite lyric of it? Th- that's pretty much it. I'm not I'm not gonna go I'm, I'm not gonna go deep into flow rider. Boots with the fur or yeah. baggy sweatpants with the Reeboks with the straps. That's yeah. all I got. <laughs> So if you sign up for Bulwark Plus, you, you that will probably be the last reference to Florida. I'm thinking. I'm just, you know, but it is ride or die at this point. No, actually, actually not. Okay, so I was thinking this morning, um, okay, the should we get to the 2024 or should we save that? Because it's 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 too good. I started my newsletter today by by quoting George Orwell. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stomping on a human face forever. And then yeah. immediately followed that with a report from Reuters. A source familiar with the internal discussion said Trump was telling allies he planned to run for president in 2024 and could announce it by the end of the year. So Amanda Carpenter, Donald Trump is forever. If people thought you were going to have an exorcism, we may have to deal with him for another eight years. Of course we are. I'm, I'm afraid to even talk about it because at this point, I don't know if we're predicting or just giving him ideas. Um, because we've always said, of course, he's going to launch some kind of media network. Of course, he's going to keep control of the Republican Party. Of course, all these things are going. He's going to try to find a way to monetize his time in the presidency. And so that time is now. And I predict slash expect his concession speech to be an announcement of his super PAC slash media venture slash 2024 exploratory committee, right? Like that's the way out where he gets to claim victory simultaneously. But that without would be actually concession. Move. Yeah. Without that- actually conceding, just seamlessly moving to the next thing while everybody is just standing there, gog, oh, why didn't, why did you say you were wrong? Why didn't you admit defeat? That, that's never going to happen. So just, it's over. Biden's coming in. Let him say what he's going to say and convince, you know, the next people to take his con because they're already standing in line. That's happening. Well, see that. So that's in some ways that's the good news. the The good news is that we, he will never actually concede. But when he announces he's running in twenty twenty four and announcing his next deal, that is the the moral equivalent of a concession. It's it, it means he knows he's he knows it, it means he knows that he's going to have to pack his bags and you know move out on January twentieth. At least we know that. Yes, he's leaving the White House and he's moving on to the next thing. That's probably as much as you're uh, of a concession that you will ever get. And already. You know, Kaylee McEnany's on Fox News saying he will be in control of the Republican Party for decades, decades, the decades. Uh, the two will be the teacher. <laughs> decades. Now, maybe this is those part COVID of drugs this. must be good. Well, or or this is the way they figure you talk him out. You, you talk him out of. Come on, come on. You can claim victory. It'll be fantastic. It'll be gr- it'll be great. Um, it is interesting watching um, the you know what's fleeing the the sinking ship over the last twenty four hours. You have Hugh Hewitt referring to Joe Biden as the president elect. Carl Rove is saying that it's uh, it's over. It's done. Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review, boldly writes in Politico that all of these plans are, you know, crazy and nuts. The the plan for the Electoral College, Hail Mary, is actually insane, which I'm going to be interested to know whether he actually tells the readers of National Review what he told the readers of Politico. But but there does seem to be, you know, kind of a move to like, Mr. President, just move out. But, you know, if the announces for 2024, a couple things happen, right? Number one, he freezes the Republican field for at least a couple of years, right? I mean, if you're Mike Pence, you are effed. Oh, yeah. But this is how he, I mean, where's CPAC going to be next year? It's not CPAC anymore. It's going to be TPAC at Mar-a-Lago. And every 2024 candidate is going to have to come up with big sponsorship fees to get a speaking slot. I This is this is so programmable and so good. obvious what's going to happen ahead. He's not going to let go of this thing. And then they're all going to come to his hotel. And part of the continuing loyalty test for the grassroots Republican base as cultivated by a guy like Matt Schlapp, of all people, is going to be, are you a member of the Trump club? Literally. Are you a card-carrying you- member of Club Trump? You know, that is interesting. That that CPAC at Mar-a-Lago. Boy, I can I can really see that. So he freezes the Republican field. The Republicans cannot move on. They they still have like, you know, the the cloud of of Trump. And from Biden's point of view, also, it's, it's kind of a kind of a nice foil. Right. I mean, you get to continue to, you know, say 
it's either me or it's this guy. So here's here's my question because you're right about this about the the schlapification of uh, of of CPAC and of the conservative movement. You have to pass the litmus test, right? You have to have the I am a Trump fluffer card in your wallet, right? So here's here's my question, uh, Amanda. You know, I think a lot of Republicans are sitting back going, okay, you know what? We're going to humor the guy. Um, we're going to, we're not going to acknowledge Biden. Uh, we're going to play along. We don't want to hurt Donald Trump's feelings, but there'll, there'll be some point where we'll acknowledge reality. Um, I'm, I'm wondering whether they've really thought this through because what point is that going to be? Okay. Is it going to be when the unofficial vote count finishes? No. Uh, when enough states officially certify their results, when the court challenges are exhausted, is it going to be December 14th yeah. uh, when they actually cast the electoral votes? Now, here's the problem. And I want to talk about, about Georgia, because one of the reasons that we hear from Republicans why they're going along with with some of this you know, delusional bullshit from, from Donald Trump is because they want the Trump voters in Georgia for these two big seats. That election's not till January 5th. So my question is, do they have to, like, hang tough, you know, and, you know, have the orange salute uh, up to January 5th uh, in order to keep the schlapified orange fluffer card? We've got to talk about the fluffer thing. It, no. Does that word mean exactly what I think it means? Oh, it, is there, it, is there it, a better it, meaning? No. Okay. Just just making sure. Um, I hope there's not a card for that. That'd be weird. Um, definitely a card. The George... <laughs> <laughs> the Georgia race, yes. Here's the thing about Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. Do you know what David Perdue looks like? Like, if you had to pick him out of a lineup, would you, would you be able to identify his voice? I mean, do you actually know who he is? No, not until about 10 minutes ago when I was right? reading some stuff out of Georgia newspapers and I was doing some prep. But no, and before that, no. Probably about as familiar as most Georgia Republicans are with David Perdue. He won his Senate race in 2014 in a relatively low turnout election when a guy like Cory Gardner came in, who also got swept out. Loeffler, as we all know, was appointed by Brian Kemp this year. These are senators that I don't believe have a real relationship with the Georgia grassroots movement like Trump did. They, they don't have that connection, right? So they basically only have Trump's coattails to coast on. Right. They don't have an identity outside of Trump. And mm. Neither of them have developed a political identity independent of Trump in a way that, say, like maybe Susan Collins did. So this is why they have to, to be so Trumpified. This is why they have to be Trumpier than Trump right now. Yeah. The Titanic is going down, but they have to cling to a lifeboat for all it's worth because otherwise they have no chance. That's interesting. So but this is my question. Is that election is not till January 5th? And if the whole point of some of this gaslighting that's going on right now is to keep Trump voters aligned with them in, in Georgia, you know, what happens if Mitch McConnell announces on December 14th, OK, we have the Electoral College as, as voted. Uh, um, Donald Trump has been defeated. Joe Biden's the president elect. I mean, are they going to go on the cuck list? I mean, will, will that be will that be I mean, on, on one America now? <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you're already seeing this sort of, you know, bifurcation where Fox yeah. is now this radical left. Believe it or not, there there are people who believe that Fox News is now radical left because they have not been loyal enough to the Orange God King. So is there going to be the you bailed on the president when he needed you most in late December? Are we still going to have that kind of stuff going on? Well, I think this gets back to the first half of your question about what is the timeline for accepting the results of the election. Yeah. If you watch somebody like Mitch McConnell, who is always so careful with his words, he is essentially just saying, well, technically Biden isn't president-elect until the states certify the election. Right. right? So they're, they're trying to let Trump exhaust all his options and figure out his own exit strategy because they don't have one for him. And so Purdue and Loeffler are just going to go along with whatever whatever story Trump decides to tell voters will be the story they tell. They're not going to come up with a narrative and explanation of their own because they are hostage to Trump's base. They can't move. They can't do anything but follow Trump's lead because that's what they've done their entire time in the Senate. You know that the one thing Republicans should not want, of course, is this to be a referendum on whether or not Trump won the election or whether or not there's some attempt to overturn the election. 
they needed to be a referendum on we need to stop Joe Biden and his left wing socialist agenda. Right. I mean, that, that's that's obviously what, what they want to turn it into, you know, and, you know, who knows? Look, I mean, I think they still have an advantage in in Georgia uh, because mm-hmm. they, you know, it's a special election. Uh, the turnout among Democratic constituencies tends to go down. Um, unfortunately, some of the Democratic candidates uh, have been a little bit squishy on the issue of defunding police. This is why Jim Clyburn is out there, you know, rattling the cages, uh, saying, hey, Democrats, you're not going to win in places like South Carolina and Georgia if you don't make it clear that you're not defunding the police and you're not part of all of that. So there, there are those 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 issues out yeah, there. Yeah, one point on that. What Loeffler is doing to uh, Warnock, they're they're essentially trying to Reverend Jeremiah write him. You yeah. guys all remember I Obama's do. pastor, chickens are coming home to roost, all that stuff. God they are trying America. to put that imprint right on top of him. And, you know, that might be successful or it might galvanize the, you know, black base that is deliver- made Georgia a swing state. So it, I think it is a risky strategy. But the more interesting element of that race is how future 2024 candidates are using Georgia as a training ground right now. Uh, Marco Rubio has been there. Tom Cotton's been there. I would expect other people to find their way there. I think maybe Nikki Haley's been there, although I can't quite be sure. Um, They need to go there and start testing out messages um, while campaigning on behalf of Purdue and Loeffler. And I would expect to see a lot more of that in the coming weeks. Okay. So before we get too far ahead, you know, it's, there, there are reasons to be alarmed about some of the things the president is doing. We've talked about this, but you know, as as we're looking around the country today, Thursday morning, one thing seems overwhelmingly obvious that Joe Biden has won this election. He's won it rather decisively. There are no states uh, in which uh, there's any chance that a recount is going to overturn the results. The 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 lawsuits that have been filed <laughs> are, are not are many of them are, are being exposed as completely bogus. And even with all the lawsuits, if you tally them up, they don't come close to overturning the results of the Electoral Council. So this is definitely not going to happen. However, there are a remarkable number of people out there who consume, who consume conservative media who are under the impression that this thing you know, might just happen. And you know, there are these, the, the suggestions of fraud or the suggestions of somehow uh, you know, things that were done wrong – I mean, this really is what you wrote about. You wrote the book about gaslighting America. And I do feel that that's what's going on that, you know, I think Donald Trump himself knows that this is this is bogus, that it's not going to happen. But he feels that he needs to go through this performance art of gaslighting to convince people that he fights. And that's what's going on, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's always had this narrative that if he was going to lose an election, it would be rigged against him. I mean, it's it's incredible how upfront he is about yeah, <laughs> the ruse that he's, he's pulling. He's very transparent. Yeah, yeah ex- extremely. Um, you know, what I talk about in this gaslighting, you know, these steps that he cycles through, there's always the element of creating suspense. And you see his people doing this all the time. Oh, wait till tomorrow. We're going to unveil these affidavits tomorrow. You won't believe what's coming. And people just eat this up. It, it's it's so incredibly predictable, but yes, this is his way out and it will always be a wink and a nod the rest of his life about how the election was stolen from him or rigged, whatever watchword he wants to insert in there. We are going to be fighting, debating this for the rest of our lives, most likely. So go ahead, you know, memorize all the facts of the case about how the election results were valid. There weren't enough disputed ballots to overturn the election anyway. Uh, most of the complaints were meritless and amounted to just complaints about how somebody was maybe being mean to me. So just get all that locked down in your brain because we, you're going to need it for the rest of your life in explaining the outcome of this election. So Sorry. I know you, I know you've done this over and over and over, but but explain what you mean by gaslighting because you you actually do have a a you 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 have a, a structure that you put all of this in to help us understand what he's doing. So what is gaslighting? The best, I mean, people overuse the word gaslighting to say someone is lying. It's not just lying. It's creating a whole alternative um, reality to make your opponents live in. Mm -hmm. And the point of it is to either make them go crazy and humiliate themselves or just surrender to whatever lie you're pushing, right? Like it is, 
it a very aggressive form of manipulation, and you have to be utterly shameless to pull it off, which is why Donald Trump is is perfect at it. And he's been doing it, you know, since his tabloid days. And the best way to understand how this works is birtherism. That was the greatest gaslighting that he's ever pulled off, and it has been the template for his campaign against the deep state for this rigged election nonsense. And here's how it works. The first part of it is that you have to realize that there's a narrative out there that a lot of people are interested in, and you have to be shameless enough to claim it. Um, I call this staking a claim. Step one, Donald Trump did not come up with birtherism. Donald Trump didn't come up with the concept of dead people voting for Democrats. That's all been out there. But he said, you know what? I'm I'm going to start dabbling in this. I'm going to own this. And he started doing that, I think, 2012, um, saying, eh, I don't know about Obama. People, Other people are saying he might not okay. be a citizen. I've heard things. And that's step two. So the first step is identifying what the weird thing is you're going to push that has a lot of potential value. The second step is dipping your toe in it, but not taking responsibility. I call this advance and deny. And the, the way you recognize this and when he says other people are saying, when he retweets some mm. random person on the internet nobody's heard of and saying, hmm, somebody should look into this. Like he's not really taking ownership of it, but he's using his platform to push it into the mainstream. Okay. And then other people start asking about him and then other media people say, oh, can you believe what Donald Trump is saying? And he, he knows this is how he starts to control the media narrative. Okay. The third step is create suspense, which you can say in this step for weeks, years, as he did with birtherism. So he dipped his toe into it. And what did he do when he started, finally started to get caught? He said, well, you know what? I'm going to send investigators to Hawaii. I very, I very good people. You're going to be shocked at what they find. I'll deliver the report in two weeks, right? We've seen this happen again and again. That's creating suspense. He promises something is coming and keeps people on the hook. And while he's buying time for that, he just starts attacking the opponent. That's step four, discrediting the opponent, you know, Obama's, you know, just going to town with whoever wants to fight him. That's another way that you dominate the media. And then when you finally run out of runway, when you can't take it anymore, like he did in his presidential campaign, and uh, Pre President Obama um, bailed his birth certificate and he couldn't lie about it anymore, he holds a press conference. And what did he do? He claimed victory. He said he won. He said he finally settled the matter and that everybody should thank him for bringing this to an end. He claims victory no matter what. And so you can put that template on any one of his big cons and you'll know what's going to happen next. So you wrote this back in, say, it was published in 2018 in, in uh, the book. Yeah, I started writing this during the Democratic Convention. Uh, in, in 2016, 2016. Okay, but nobody wanted it because they everybody thought he was going to lose. Cause I was like, this is what he does. This is how he's going to burn up the Republican party. And so nobody was interested in it. And then somebody came back around, I think a year and a half later. And I was like, yes, I can still write this because he's going to do it throughout <laughs> his presidency. And, and that, ex that, ex that explains <laughs> it. So, yeah. you know, I was thinking about that because there were so many of the things that have happened that were predictable that if you understood how his mind worked and what his character was, and yet it feels now that it turned out to be even worse than we thought. So when you were writing about the gaslighting of America, well, let me, give, let me ask you that question. You know, did it turn out the way you thought? Did it turn out not as bad as you thought? Did it turn out much worse than you thought? Not as bad as I thought. Oh. Um, it is pretty bad. I thought there was going to be more stuff like he did with Ukraine. I mean, I thought he was going to do more of what he got impeached for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still don't think we've seen the end of that, Charlie. I mean, everybody's asking, why is Mark Esper gone? Why is he replacing senior military officials? Why are they talking about getting rid of CI director Gina Haspel and FBI director Chris Ray? I think it's because he wants to find stuff to politicize later and use mm. against his enemies. Um, I don't want to, I don't know that. You you mean he's being, putting his people in so that they can dig up the the stuff that he can use because they've give, they've blocked him from access to things? I mean, is that? I, what we you've seen throughout his presidency is that they have politicized intelligence. 
right? They've held briefings to try to sway things one way. Devin Nunes is the epitome of that. Now uh, Devin Nunes' guy is at the Pentagon. What do you think they're doing? I don't think they're trying to start a war. I don't think they're actually trying to rush home troops from Afghanistan. I think they're mining for dirt like they always have done. Uh, in a way that might be payback for the impeachment that he went through that they still claim was unjustified. It, I, that's just what I so the, would so the expect next term, the, these the loyalists 20, to be yeah. doing. So the 2024 term could be really lit if he comes back and he, and he wins. Does, does a Grover <laughs> Cleveland. You know, I started floating this idea months ago that, you know, the president, you know, Trump can run again in 2024. Mm -hmm. And even to me, it sounded a little bit far-fetched. But that's the other thing about the Trump years, that, that the way in which something goes from absolutely unthinkable to, yeah, that's possible to Republican orthodoxy. I mean, that's, that's the weird thing. So I mean, um, I do think it's more, I mean, I, I do think we need to sound a note of warning. Joe Biden's governing coalition is pretty fragile. He didn't get the huge mandate landslide that we expect. He did pretty good, but there's still going to be, there's still a deep, deep, deep mistrust that many Republican voters have of Democrats. Yeah. And we can trace it to the defund the police calls, to trying to make socialism cool. We, we can talk about all that. It, it exists. Um, Joe Biden, if he runs for reelection, it's not going to be a gimme. It'll be oh, harder It'll be than it was in 20. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. No, you're right. I mean, I, look, I, I think it is an impressive coalition. I, I, th I think that as we get more numbers in, the decisiveness of of his victory is, is impressive. I think he's going to win by, you know, what, 7 million votes possibly when when all is said and done. But you're right. The coalition is not what some people were hoping. Uh, and, and again, this is one of those moments where, you know, the Democrats need to think about the story they have been telling themselves, where they mm -hmm. believe that, you know, demographics was going to make them inevitably dominant. Maybe not. Also, they've been talking to one another and going, hey, what's wrong with socialism? You know, and really, you know, all this talk about defunding police didn't really hurt us that much. Maybe it did. Um, a lot of... I. I was struck by the number of people who cited things like political correctness, that they wanted to vote against political correctness as the reason to vote for Donald Trump. Now, I actually don't think that works out that way. I don't think that was a, a, a good choice, but it's a reality. It is a political reality. And I'm not sure that uh, the Democrats have fully, fully understand the degree to which they have also created a bubble for themselves, which makes them not quite get the damage they do to themselves out in the country. I mm -hmm. pray they listen to the Midwest Democrats. When I see it, what people like Elise Slotkin from Michigan are saying, Pete yep. Buttigieg, who is the yep. best messenger they have right now, the best, the best messenger, um, you, you should listen to him. And they should listen to how Joe Biden won the election. He won the election. I don't understand why they're not more eager to follow his playbook <laughs> because like that's that's the way he won listen to his messaging and it's like they they have caught they have you know earplugs in their ears well you you've, you've just named a couple of names i mean uh, claire mccaskill of course was defeated in missouri but she understands uh, the, this this dynamic and and i think she um, as a common sense Democrat, Pete Buttigieg, absolutely no question about it. Um, Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania, Abigail Spanberger, people ought to listen to them. Joe Manchin seemed rather cranked up as well. Now, again, he's from West Virginia. You know, so, but he basically said, you know, don't defund the police, defund my butt. I'm not sure why he wanted to focus attention on his yeah, butt or what that was. Nobody's funding your butt. I don't, I certainly hope not. Okay. So, you know, speaking of, 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 of grifts and, and what, and what happens next, I'm interested in getting your take on this. Axios has this really interesting report, which seems completely plausible. I, I don't know. I can't confirm it one way or another that Trump's plan is he really he's really ticked off. and He wants to go to war with Fox News. He wants to destroy Fox News. Excuse me while I run and get some popcorn. Let I mean, them fight. Let them let fight. Let them fight. So this is <laughs> this is from Axios. 
There's been lots of speculation about Trump starting a cable channel, but getting carried on cable systems would be expensive and time consuming. Instead, Trump is considering a digital media channel that would stream online, which would be cheaper and quicker to start. Trump's digital offering would likely charge a monthly fee to MAGA fans. Oh, he's going to milk. He's going to milk the forgotten people. <laughs> Many are Fox News viewers, and he'd aim to replace the network and the five dollars and ninety nine cents a month of Fox Nation. Uh, the Fox Nation streaming service um, as their top destination. And obviously he would rely on his massive database of email and cell phone contacts uh, to get this going. I know the JVL has been writing about this. This seems, this seems plausible to me. Um, although I, I do, I do think it's interesting how you're starting to see the news maxes and the one America nows out there trying to, fill the space of, you know, even crazier than Fox News. And then he would have his own little network here. So. I mean, the most predictable thing is that he's not actually going to start a new digital network. He is going to license his name to Newsmax or OAN somehow. Right. Like That is the purely Trumpian way because he's not actually going to run a media network. He's not Roger Ailes. Okay. There's a lot of work that goes into actually bringing programs to air. I I don't think he's interested in that. I think he wants to dictate what the message is, pick the talent um, based on how glowing they will be of him at all times and just repeat what he says. Like he wants a million little press secretaries on OAN all competing for his affection and praise. And that'll be it. And he, he, he could probably do some business like that. I mean, 71 million people voted for him. Sure. It, yeah. It's totally doable. But what does that do to Fox News? Right? Like, what, the what lesson here is that you can never be Trumpy enough. Fox News has a whole primetime lineup that does nothing but lavish praise and present Trump in the best possible light. And it's still not good enough. And so this is like the lesson that should be for everybody that's trying to parse this and say, okay, well, let's, let's take the good parts of Trump and separate it from, you know, bad tweets. You can't, there's no separating it. Once you decide to start compromising on Trump, you are done. He owns you. You're never getting away. And these people, these primetime hosts, all these people that worked in his press shop, they're never getting away from him. Welcome to the rest of your life, putting out press releases in one way or another, talking about how awesome Donald Trump is. Congratulations. You know, but in, in terms of like whether things turned out the way we thought or better or worse, this fracturing and this centrifugal force in the media on the right, I think means that everything that's been happening that we think of as bad is going to get worse because there's going to be this incredible pull to be nuttier and crazier, to go further and further into the fever swamps. And there's going to be this race. I mean, you turn on, I was looking at somebody's account of uh, the host that was sitting in for Rush Limbaugh yesterday. You know, Rush Limbaugh today sounds like what Alex Jones sounded like four years ago. Alex Jones sounds like what some, you know, crazy guy writing you know, writing letters with crayon sounded four years before that. So, I mean, it's there, there is a movement and it's, it's not positive for the people. For, so for the guy that wrote, Hey, are the culture wars over? Oh, you, you haven't seen anything yet. No, because yeah. the culture wars are politics. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they are, but this, this, this MAGA story I think is just fascinating. Now this is all in the context, not to be, it's not funny at all. This uh, nightmare scenario, the coronavirus is on us right now. I mean, I, I, I remember, boy, it was a few months ago. I'd like to go back when Anthony Fauci was saying something like, we need to get the daily, um, the daily case number down to like 7,000 if we're going, if we're going to avoid a disaster. Those Yesterday, it's 144,000. And you have at least nine states that have record numbers of cases. Uh, Wisconsin is continuing to spike. Uh, the death toll is accelerating and uh, patients, the uh, COVID-19 patients in ICUs, uh, the total is now 12,518, which is the highest since May 5th. We're running out of hospital beds. And yet you look at at Washington, D.C., and th- as far as I can tell, they're not doing anything. So I got asked a question yesterday, which I which I think I fumbled. Um 
Chuck Todd said, why, why are Republicans in Congress willing to ignore the fact that the Trump administration is ignoring the coronavirus? And I don't think I came up with a good answer, but I, I think I have an answer now. Why do you think you would think that right now would be a moment where people think, this is really bad. Let's get something done during this this interregnum period. Why, why, why are Republicans doing absolutely nothing? You want to hear my very cynical take? I do. Probably similar, probably similar to mine. But go ahead. They don't care if Joe Biden walks into a mess. Yeah, let him own it. I hate to say that. I hate to say that. But we, you know, Charlie, we've watched Washington. If they wanted to have a big spending bill, lame duck is the perfect time for that. They're not going to do it. They're just going to let the virus do what the virus does. Let Trump do what he does for the rest of the year, and when Joe Biden comes in, they'll let him own it. And that makes me sick. But the bright side, I think Joe Biden is prepared to own it. Um, People have been asking, well, what will Joe Biden do in the first 100 days? Will there be the infrastructure bill? What can Republicans do to work with him on tax credits and criminal justice reform? Just shut up. None of that is going to happen. Nothing. If Joe Biden does this right, nothing should happen until coronavirus is contained. The end. That is that we get nothing back. If he does the first three months right, gets some relief out, you know, gets the doctors going, gets a couple states on the right page that are willing to go and writes this ship, the rest of his presidency will have much smoother sailing. But you have to do that first. Nothing happens. And the Republicans in the Senate are just going to sit back and take pot shots at him along the way, questioning masking, questioning lockdowns. And... I, I I believe the Biden people know this yeah. and they're prepared to own it. And so that is what the first few months will be like. Well, I think I think you're right. But let me let me just put a little bit of gloss on, on that. Yes, they don't care um, that Joe Biden uh, is, is going to inherit the, the mess. So they're going to let it let it happen. But also um, they're not going to be voting on this massive spending bill because, you know, instantaneously they are all going to become fiscal conservatives again. magically on January 20th, this pivot will be something just awesome to behold. The same folks that were, have been okay with the $3 trillion deficit, the massive increase in the debt will suddenly come back to Jesus. And it will be, it will be a moving experience how all the Republicans will become fiscal conservatives, deeply concerned about deficit spending, deeply concerned about the debt. So that's, that's, that's part of it. But also the hoping that that people's memories flip so that that the same people that were completely OK with Donald Trump's, hey, the coronavirus is uh, solved. It's no big deal. We can't panic. We can't let it control our lives. Watch how suddenly they see it as an existential crisis. And it's all Joe Biden's fault. But you mentioned how they're going to take pot shots at the masking thing. I have to say that. One of the things that I'm kind of dreading is what is is the tribalization of the issue of vaccines, because the one thing, the one glimmer of hope that we have is that Pfizer or somebody else will come up with a vaccine that successfully controls this. But half the country decides that they are, you know, they're not going to go along with it. We know that there is an anti-vaxxer movement out there. And going back to your template of, of, of gaslighting. You don't have to invent anti-vax feeling. You just simply need to sort of co-opt it and plug and play for some opposition to whatever good things are happening during a Biden presidency. Yeah, the thing about this one is going to be fought on the front lines by states and localities, probably more than Joe Biden is able to. When the vaccine is available, our school administrator is going to make that uh, a condition upon returning to school. I mean, if you know how local politics and school politics can play out, it can be vicious. And so I'm not I'm not worried about what Joe Biden or Trump will do. I'm very worried about these frontline teachers, school board members and people like that who will have to fight that culture war one county at one a time. county at a time. Well, that that's why I, I, I I'm thinking about the rallies and about the grievance movement that Donald Trump will want to encourage. And the template would be the Tea Party that we saw rise up in the first year of the Obama presidency. I can see a Trump party with mass rallies. 
um, mm-hmm. focusing on uh, the, the masks and everything. Oh, I, I have something here in front of me that I was I was thinking of writing about. Do you, do you know the Heartland Institute from based in Chicago? I've, I've heard of oh, okay. it. Like, so they do education stuff. Well, they're they're they uh, are a sort of libertarian, very obsessed with uh, opposition to, to doing anything about climate change. I think they used to be more mainstream, but they've gone the way a lot of other conservative organizations. I got their 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 quarterly performance report, you know, in the mail because I'm still on the mailing list. I'm still on some really weird ass mailing list, so I'll tell you that. <laughs> you can never um, get off those weird ass. Yeah, I will. I will. I will be on these mailing lists forever. But I really I love this one. Um, they they the, the cover of of this is. You know, them standing there, the Heartland Institute, taking the fight to the socialists and the climate left. It's got a picture of them looking like Superman. And then you have this this shadowy figure of this robot, which would, of course, be the climate left with, with a hammer and sickle on it, because, of course, they're all communists. But let me just read you the first paragraph, which I think is fantastic. Um, a fantastic, I mean, in a awful way. Um, this is this is the the cover of the this publication. Sadly, 2020 will go down in history as a year of unprecedented assaults on human freedom, period. OK, let's just stop right there. 2020 unprecedented assault. This was the worst year. I mean, forget slavery. I mean, forget the Holocaust. I mean, forget tyranny. Forget Paul Pot. Forget any of that stuff. Forget fascism. I mean, it. this unprecedented, something we've never seen before in all of human history. You realize this? I mean, human history is pretty long and it's pretty ugly. And generally, there have been a lot of assaults on human freedom. But 2020 will go down in history as a year of unprecedented assaults in, in human uh, freedom. Well, what is he talking about here? I mean, which which gulags, which camps? No, Americans suffered under government mandated economic shutdowns enforced social distancing, face mask requirements, and a Democratic Party that has become increasingly socialistic. That is the unprecedented assault on human freedom, mask mandates. (laughs) Which aren't even mandates. Has anybody actually ever been like arrested or gone to jail for not wearing a mask? I am am so There's always a random like middle-aged to retired dude not wearing a mask, coughing in the corner. Yeah, Always. Basically, the unprecedented assault on human freedom has been what? Um, YouTube videos of random Karens screaming about mask mandates in Walmart. I mean, are you kidding me? This is the kind of shit we're up against. And you know that all of that's going to be ramped up when Biden comes in, if he tries to do anything about all of this. Uh, You'll notice that the word pandemic, coronavirus, COVID does not appear there at all whatsoever. Just sort of like randomly government decided to do (laughs) terrible thing. Imagine that, that you had government encouraging social distancing at a time when a quarter million Americans are dying. So you can only imagine uh, what it's what how they're going to portray whatever Joe Biden does in the but next this year. This has long been a feature. This apocalyptic doomsday. This is the most important election. We're going to lose our country. Has that always been in conservative politics? I remember it getting yeah. bad through the Tea Party time and sort of like eh, hearing people say it. Like, really? Do you mean that? Okay, you're just going to say that. But has that always has that strain always been there like this is the worst time ever vote for me yeah it it it, (laughs) it has but but it seems much worse it it, 2016 became the flight 93 election which is that we're all going to die so let's storm the cockpit and that's been internalized and i think that that's that's part of it which also explains this hysteria because okay so if you are a conservative republican should you be freaking out right now I mean, I, again, you know, you 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 have some friends still, right? I mean, among the, you know, you would think the conservative Republicans would go, you know, this isn't so bad. Um, we still probably are going to control the Senate. We have a majority on the Supreme Court. Uh, we would be able to block any crazy stuff that Joe Biden would would want to do. Uh, so we don't have to worry about America becoming a socialist nation. So we're actually in pretty good shape in the midterm elections. Possible Republicans are going to take control of the House. And now we don't have to defend Donald Trump's tweets. You would think that they would be a little bit more chill as opposed to, oh, my God, we need to have the Republican legislature in Pennsylvania declare the election null and void and name electors. I mean, what? 
But I think this gets back to the political class, as you point out, is doing fine, right? Like Republican senators can safely oppose lockdowns because they are protected from the consequences of it, but their voters are not. And what I have in my head right now is, I don't know if you listen to the daily podcast, um, but a few days ago, the New York times daily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. They were talking to a woman and asking her why she thought the election was rigged. And she kind of starts off with standard MAGA stuff. You know, they're not counting it. And then she kind of descends into despair saying, you know, my daughter's at home. She's in high school. She can't go to high school. She used to be social. Now she doesn't want to leave her room. She doesn't want to go to college. And you know what? Maybe she shouldn't. I've got hundreds of thousands of debt and my business has been shut down because of the pandemic. And it just like goes down and Mm -hmm, down. And mm -hmm. you can see this woman is on the edge. Yes, despair. Right? And, but this is why the conspiracy theories and all this stuff works because they need an enemy. They need someone. They, there's a lot of people in really bad situations. And it's not the political class. It is not them. But they have to somehow reflect and redirect this rage that exists when people really are struggling. And I don't think they have the right solutions. I don't think super spreader rallies are the answer at all. Mm-hmm. But people are feeling loss and they want an explanation and Donald Trump and these other people that give fan service to Trump, give them an explanation as fraudulent or wrong as it may be. And Democrats have to realize they have to compete in that storytelling element in a way that gives them hope and puts them on a better path because that is what leadership is about. That is the culture where they have to fight. No, that that is you're absolutely right. And you know, one of the stories that Trump and and the and, and Trump world has successfully been able to tell is that I'm on your side because the other side hates you. They think you're racist and bigots and dumb. And th- and that's what Democrats think of you, and that is what the media thinks of you. And I'm gonna tell you that I'm on your side. There's much Isn't more there power- loneliness in that message. Yeah, but and, and, but it's saying, I'll be your friend. Yes, it's very it is very powerful. And also what it means is that he deflects the criticism against him, because I do think that most of the the, the, the real dis- dislike and distrust is is to Donald Trump. But he deflects it and say when they attack me, they're attacking mm-hmm. you because they hate you. Now, the flip side of the message, and, and this is something that I think that 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 the left has not really grasped because there is a lot of, you know, yes, you, you people are racist. This is a white supremacist country. Um, we need to, con- all of that stuff is read as an indictment that you think that I am a bad person. You people are terrible people. And amazingly, that does not win hearts and minds. When I think the more powerful message is, you are a good person and you are better than this. A good person does not look the other way when there are racist policies. No, you're not that person who wants to listen to those uh, those those dog whistles. And, and that's the difference of saying, look, I know this stuff is complicated and I'm going to appeal to the better angels of your nature and ratify that that when we you know we talk about who Americans are. Yeah, we have some problems. We have some issues. Nobody's perfect. But. Uh, you don't want to be that person. That's a very different message than saying, you know, America is so deeply corrupt and so deeply racist and white supremacist. And, and, and you people need to apologize. And even when you apologize, we're not going to accept that because uh, we don't want redemption. We want reparations. I mean, seriously, years and years and years of that uh, have, have taken a huge toll. Yeah. And I have compassion for you know I, I, i'm thinking of i don't want to say my black friends but my, people who have suffered the brunt of racism in real time in real ways and essentially what we're asking them to do is oh don't express rage you as a person who has been wrong could you explain to me in a nice way why it matters yeah. That is a really hard thing to do. I, I understand it's, it's unfair. That, yeah. No, I, I know, yeah. I know that's kind of what it calls for, but oh God, that is such a hard thing to do. And there are people who can do it. Barack Obama did it. Barack Obama yeah, did. did that. Um, but coming off of Donald Trump, I, I, it takes a tremendous amount of strength to be able to contemplate doing that in the face 
of of what I mean the Proud Boys, the child separation. Oh no! See, they, well, see this. This is why I don't think. I mean, I honestly do think um, that the vast majority of people, including Trump voters, look at them and have this, and, and are also repulsed. And I think it's very important to say you do not want to be like them. Yeah. You know, because there, there's a real disconnect between the political debates and social media. And then when you go out and you talk to people in the real world, there's always that kind of shock. You know, hey, people are still nice. People are still decent. People still want to be thought of as a good person. Um, so we have a distorted view. And so this is this is, I think, one of the tragedies is these people who I think are good and decent people who could have gone either way. Yes. Because, I mean, things are not simple. You're not born like I'm racist and I'm anti-racist. Now, I think that people are complicated, but you can bring them along and say, you know what? Um, let's appeal to your values where you are. You know, you want to be treated. You want to believe that if you work hard and play by the rules, you're going to be treated fairly and justly. And that's the real test. Is America moving toward justice? Is it moving toward fairness? Can we do something on a personal level? Look, I know you. I'm, I'm actually doing this. I know you, and I know that you would be horrified if you saw a child in the street who'd been separated from their parent, that that would be a horrific thing. And I know that you and your neighbors would do everything possible to reunite that child, that you would not do that, that you would be appalled at any act of cruelty toward that child. So this is not who you are or want to support as opposed to you people you voted for trump you're all a bunch of racists and cruel there's a difference in in tone and in message there that uh, do you, you follow what i'm getting at here right i'm yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not making excuses and i'm not making a defense i'm just saying there there's a very different approach to appealing to the better angel than starting off with the condemnation in, in a key part of this is making the case that Donald Trump is an outlier. You know, we say he's not normal. He does not behave as a normal person. He does not behave as regular Republican voters do in their personal and professional lives. Right. Yeah. He is an outlier. He is an outlier of history when it comes to presidents. And we should look at that and say that that was a time it has passed. It is time to move on. Okay, so schadenfreude alert here, because we're better than this, right? Um, yeah, our, depends how good it is. Jim Swift is just messaging us here that uh, Trump mega donors, Dick and Liz Uline, big, mm. big uh, funders here in the Midwest, uh, have contracted COVID-19. Oh. The prolific conservative political contributors have been outspoken opponents of COVID-19 restrictions, with Mrs. Uline arguing in the spring the media is overblowing the threat. Huh. Okay, so we have one more uh, clip that I want to uh, uh, play here that uh, Jim Swift has pulled for us. Uh, Kaylee McEnany. Let's have a flashback. This is Kaylee McEnany from November 2016. This, of course, is right after Donald Trump narrowly won his election. Do we have that? You have people out there calling for recounts that are unsubstantiated based on no evidence. You have Jill Stein coming on our network an hour or so ago suggesting that there were hacks or potentially hacks and we won't know until we count the votes. There are people trying to delegitimize well, why, the president-elect of the United States. The oh, that's so good. Oh, Jim, could you play it again, please? This is Kaylee McEnany four years ago. You have people out there calling for recounts that are unsubstantiated based on no evidence. You have Jill Stein coming on our network an hour or so ago suggesting that there were hacks or potentially hacks and we won't know until we count the votes. There are people trying to delegitimize well, why, the president-elect of the United well, States. so good. Now, there, this is this is gaslighting, isn't it, Amanda, that she's on now doing the exact same shit in reverse? You know what? Kaylee McEnany is going to get everything that she has earned and deserved and that is going to be Donald Trump's mouthpiece for the rest of her life. It's what she wanted. You can have it. <laughs> and she's going to get it. Amanda Carpenter, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again.